Hello, welcome to the Food Underfoot podcast, podcast number five. Today, we are going to talk about the hardiness and longevity effects of wild plants. I'm your host, Melissa Sikulski. You'll find all the notes and links from today's podcast over on our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash foodunderfoot, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash foodunderfoot. And also, if you become a member over there, you'll receive our monthly full-color digital Food Underfoot magazine. The next issue is coming out next week. And by being a member, you'll have access to all the issues, past, present, and future. So you can become a member at any level, and that's on patreon.com slash foodunderfoot. Thank you so much for your support, and let's get on to today's podcast. So why do I eat wild plants? That's an issue I like to address at the beginning of every wild edible plant walk I lead. Uh, why eat wild plants? So there's plenty of produce available year-round at the grocery store. In the summer, I can get organic, local produce at the farmer's market. So why would I want to eat wild plants? So first of all, I do want to say that I don't exclusively eat wild plants. I do shop at the grocery store, and I love the farmer's market fresh produce. But I also absolutely love eating wild plants. And it's an abundant part of my diet, obviously seasonally, spring, summer, and fall. I eat a lot more wild plants than I do in the winter. Uh, I love incorporating wild mushrooms like morels, chicken mushroom, and chanterelles into my meals when I can find them. And I use vegetables and berries from onion grass, which I like to use like chives. And I harvested some today. As a matter of fact, February 25th, I found it growing abundantly all over on my walk, even though there's still snow and ice everywhere. And so I like to use those. I like to use Japanese knotweed stalks, burdock roots, mulberries, wine berries, fruits like pawpaws and kusa dogwood, just to name a very few of the many, many wild things I commonly eat. So a list of some reasons that I eat wild foods is because it's fun to go out into nature and forage them. It's like an adventure. Looking for wild mushrooms is like looking for buried treasure. I love the distinct and different tastes of wild plants, from garlic mustard and chickweed in my salad to berries like mulberries, which are so delicious and not found in stores or markets because the berries are delicate and don't travel well. All kinds of tastes, sour tastes, sweet tastes, spiciness, they're just so distinct. Wild foods have really distinct flavors. Wild foods in general are 100% natural. They're not bred for their looks or for their shelf life. They grow as they are meant to grow. They are not sprayed with pesticides, herbicides, weed killers, fertilizers. They just grow. Uh, Another reason is I am a terrible gardener, but I can still forage. I forest greens like purslane, lamb's quarters, chickweeds. I can forage berries like mulberry, serviceberry, wine berries. 
I can have root vegetables like sunchokes or daylily tubers or roots like burdock. And I'm not responsible for growing anything or weeding. I'm the worst at weeding, which may be why my gardens are always so terrible. Because to me, nothing is a weed, so I just let it all grow. I like to make medicine from wild plants like dandelion root, St. John's wort, which I use for oil, plantain, which I also use for oil, and Japanese knotweed, which is a treatment for Lyme disease, which I will talk more about later in this podcast. Um, it's empowering to know how to find food and medicine in the wild. The vitamins and minerals of wild foods are unmatched and wild foods are incredibly hardy. They grow and thrive under not so perfect conditions. And this last reason is the one I want to focus on today. So this past week, I heard a man named David Sinclair on some podcasts. You can find in-depth interviews with him on Rich Roll's podcast, on the Plant Proof podcast, which is another podcast. Um, Dax Shepard has a podcast and he interviewed with him. And when I first heard him this week was on Smartless, which is actually a funny podcast with Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett. And it was a great introduction to David Sinclair, Sinclair and it made me want to uh, hear more and which is how I found him on the other podcasts I mentioned. So Dr. Sinclair has a PhD. He's a researcher at Harvard University, and he studies longevity. He has a new book called Lifespan, which I cannot wait to get my hands on, but I haven't read it yet. So to summarize some of his suggestions for living a longer life, I actually found some of his writing online on the Aspen Brain Institute website, and I'll link to that in the show notes, of course. So four things he says to do to improve longevity are one, get moving, so exercise. Two, eat less often. He recommends intermittent fasting. Number three, eat stressed plants stressed, like S-T-R-E-S-S-E-D. And this is the one I'm going to talk about more today. And four, expand your thermoneutral zone, which means exposing yourself to very cold and very hot temperatures, often in succession, like going from a hot sauna into a cold plunge, like they do in Finland. Uh, we called it hydrotherapy when I was in naturopathic school in Oregon in the early 90s. And Wim Hof has popularized it again recently. But I want to talk about eating stressed plants because I think this is one of the main reasons to eat wild foods. So when I'm laying out the reasons to eat wild foods, I always say they're local, they're full of vitamins and nutrients, and they're hardy. And what do I mean by hardy? Wild plants are survivors. They grow under not perfect conditions. The soil might be sandy or dry. The weather might plunge to below freezing or there might be a drought. Wild plants face all of it all the time. There's no greenhouse to cultivate perfect conditions 
wild plants are stressed. And when plants are stressed, Dr. Sinclair explains that plants produce certain polyphenols or health-promoting molecules. And the ones he mentions specifically are resveratrol in grapes, and I'll add that resveratrol is also in Japanese knotweed, which I'm going to talk about in a, in a second. Um, and then he says aspirin from willow bark, which I'm not sure why he writes it like this, because they do make aspirin from the salicin in willow bark, but aspirin itself isn't really in willow bark. And he says metformin from lilacs, which similarly metformin is made from a natural compound in lilacs but I'm just gonna quote his writing here. He says, quercetin from fruits and allicin from garlic. So those are the ones that Dr. Sinclair mentions. And he goes on to say that as plants are stressed, they produce these certain chemicals. And when animals like us eat these plants and chemicals, they have an important effect on us. And he and his fellow scientist, Conrad Howitz, coined the term xenohormesis, which means that our bodies are able to sense these chemicals when we eat the plants. And it alerts our bodies that conditions are not perfect and we should hunker down to survive. So these plants, these, the hormones, or not the hormones, the chemicals produced by the stressed plants have a longevity conferring effect on us in the same way that intermittent fasting, exercise, and exposing ourselves to extreme temperatures can have. So let's look a little bit more at Japanese knotweed. Uh, the botanical names for it are Polygonum cuspidatum, that's what we use here in the United States, and Fallopia japonica, and that's what they use in Europe. So it's an invasive plant. It was brought to America from East Asia, from China, Japan, and Korea in the 1880s as an ornamental plant. In fact, it was planted in Central Park by the park designer Frederick Olmsted, and he liked it for its rapid growth. It resembles bamboo, but it's actually in the buckwheat family, and it is nearly impossible to control. So it's edible in the early spring when the shoots first emerge from the ground. It tastes tart, like lemony. And I like to nibble it as I hike, especially on a hot day. It's really refreshing. But I also like to juice the stalks with apples. It makes a delicious juice. You can also steam Japanese knotweed shoots as you would asparagus, though it doesn't really taste like asparagus because the knotweed is much more lemony. Um, first, you strip the leaves from the stalk if you want to cook it. Some people like to make a strawberry knotweed pie because it has that tart taste like rhubarb does. So the roots and young stalks of Japanese knotweed are full of resveratrol, and that's an antioxidant. It's known to be good for the heart and the brain. So I like to dig the knotweed roots in the late winter, early spring, once the ground is thawed, and I make a tincture from the roots. And I also dry some of the roots to boil if I want to use it as a medicinal tea. 
So people are finding that knotweed roots are a useful remedy for Lyme disease. And you can look at Stephen Herod Booner, B-U-H-N-E-R, his book called Healing Lyme. And he has all the information on that. There's also, he has a website. And again, I'm going to link to all of this in the notes. So he wrote that book in 2005. And he talked about herbs like Japanese knotweed and cat's claw to treat Lyme disease. And now medical researchers are finally catching up. So I found an article. um, It was reported last year, February of 2020. And it reported that researchers at Johns Hopkins University found that 10 to 20% of people with Lyme's disease still have symptoms after taking antibiotics. So the researchers then looked at different plants to see how effective they were against Lyme disease. And they found that some plants, including Japanese knotweed, were actually more effective than the antibiotics. So let me read this to you, and I'll put a link to the full article in the show notes. So, quote, researchers at Johns Hopkins University studied 14 plant-based extracts and compared their effectiveness against doxycycline and cefuroxime, which are two antibiotics used to treat Lyme disease. Of the 14 plants, Japanese knotweed, and Ghanaian quinine were found to be the most effective. Some other plants that outperformed the antibiotics included black walnut, cat's claw, sweet wormwood, Mediterranean rock rose, and Chinese skullcap. The plants were found to be effective against B. burgdorferi, the tick-carried bacteria responsible for Lyme disease. Dr. Ying Zhang from Johns Hopkins said, quote, This study provides the first convincing evidence that some of the herbs used by patients, such as cryptolepis, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, black walnut, sweet wormwood, cat's claw, and Japanese knotweed have potent activity against Lyme disease bacteria especially the dormant, persistent forms, which are not killed by the current Lyme antibiotics, end quote. So that article was from Express, which is a newspaper in the UK, and it was published on February 21st, 2020, and I'll link to that in the show notes. So that was just some interesting food for thought about wild plants today. And I definitely did not do Dr. David Sinclair justice. So please listen to him being interviewed on the podcast that I mentioned. The first one was Smartless. That's a short, funny little interview. But uh, more in-depth interviews can be found with Rich Roll, Dax Shepard, and Plant Proof. Those are three different podcasts. So he's really interesting. His book is Lifespan, which I've yet to read, but I cannot wait Um, And next week, the second issue of Food Underfoot magazine comes out, and it's really, really looking great. And the way you can automatically get it is to become a patron over at patreon.com slash foodunderfoot. 
Any amount will get you the magazine. You can see the tiers over there. And your support means so much to me. I really, really appreciate it. But the magazine is also going to be available on Amazon Kindle. You can just buy it over there if you'd rather do that. The February issue is up over there already on Amazon Kindle. You can search Food Underfoot Magazine and it should come up. It's digital, it's full color, and it's really great. I hope you like it. Thank you so much for listening today. I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.